Psalm 107, a psalm of deliverance and direction. Deliverance and direction. Throughout Israel's history, the nation experienced seasons of deliverance and direction from God, despite seasons of sin and judgment. And in Psalm 107, what we see is a demonstration of God's faithfulness to deliver and direct his people in spite of their faithlessness. Now, this psalm is going to be divided into two major sections. In section 1, we'll consider God's providence in deliverance, verses 1 through 32. And then in section 2, we're going to consider God's providence in direction, verses 33 through 42. The author is unknown, but the context is post-exilic. Now, as we consider this first section, God's providence in deliverance, it covers verses 1 through 32. We're not going to cover all 32 verses in this devotion. We are going to cover, though, the first nine. And then we'll come back next time and we'll continue working our way through Psalm 107. So we're looking at God's providence in deliverance. In verses 1 to 3, we have celebration. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. Now, again, God's providence in deliverance should spark celebration on our part. Because God delivers us from sin, because he delivers us from judgment, we should give thanks to the Lord. And ultimately, why do we give thanks to the Lord? Because he is good. That's his character. And not only is he good, but his loving kindness, his mercy endures forever. So the mercy of God is continuing. And that means that God's mercy transcends his judgments. You know, as we think about Israel, we should think about ourselves as a church. You know, what are we praying for? We should be praying for God to direct us, but also to deliver us. To deliver us from our foolishness. To deliver us from our sin. To deliver us from chastisement. To deliver us from a hundred different things that were situations or circumstances that we find ourselves in. But as we pray for deliverance, we need to begin with worship. And we need to worship God or to celebrate God and give thanks to him for his character. It could be his goodness, could be his mercy, could be his grace. And the, we see here the worship becomes a witness in verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, who are the redeemed? The redeemed are those who have been purchased out of slavery. You know, when we think about uh, slavery in the scripture, uh, slavery was often something uh, akin to indentured servitude. It was certainly not the slavery of the uh, 18th and 19th century uh, that we saw here in the United States and in parts of Europe. Uh, this indentured servitude often involved people placing themselves into slavery or into servitude because of a debt, of bankruptcy, uh, illness, sickness, something of that nature where they couldn't uh, care for themselves or pay for their bills on their own, so they would place themselves under someone else. Well, in order to be bought out of servitude or out of slavery, they had to pay their debt. 
And if they couldn't pay it, somebody else could pay it. And whoever paid it, then they would become indentured to them, should the person who paid it choose to keep them uh, until that payment is made. And that's what we see with God. God redeemed us. He bought us out of the marketplace of sin, of slavery to sin, because he paid the price. And we belong to him. We are indentured now to him. Well, when the, the redeemed, that's us, we need to say so. What are we supposed to be saying? We need to be praising God for the deliverance. He delivered us out of enslavement to sin and has brought us into servitude to him. Now you think, well, you know, we're just trading one servitude or one form of slavery for another. Not really, because enslavement to God is far different than enslavement to sin. Sin always brings judgment. Sin brings a curse, but enslavement to God brings peace and joy. Uh, enslavement to God brings fulfillment and blessing because our enslavement ultimately works towards us being adopted as his child, which was often the case. You know, an indentured servant, could the master could adopt them as their own child which would free them from the enslavement and make them uh, co-heirs with the other children. Of course, we're co-heirs with Jesus Christ because we've been adopted into God's household. And uh, when we think about redemption in the Old Testament, we think about the power of God. Uh, Nehemiah says, Your servants and your people who you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah 1.10 uh, here, the psalmist mentions that we've been redeemed out of or from the hand of the enemy. God snatched them from bondage, and he returned Israel to our home. He gathered them out of the lands, uh, to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south, uh, and from the sea or from the Mediterranean. And again, we're talking post-exilic. We're talking about the return to the land. Of course, there's also an eschatological aspect to this because we look forward to that day, uh, and unfortunately, uh, they'll have to go through the tribulation to bring about this day when Israel will be regathered to the homeland, to Jerusalem, and be restored as their nation. But again, we're looking at God's providence and deliverance, and we see celebration in verses 1 to 3. We're celebrating deliverance. But notice the condition in verses 4 to 5. Notice the condition of people who need deliverance. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. So this is describing here in verses 4 to 5, the redeemed. And in the context, it's the exiles, the generation who was carried into captivity, Babylonian captivity, from between 606 B.C. and 586 B.C. They wandered in the wilderness. And we think about the uh, how they were marched by Nebuchadnezzar through the wilderness um, from Israel across the desert until they reached uh, Babylon. Uh, they were in a desolate or in a desert place. They were homeless. There was no city to dwell in. Uh, they were uh, hungry and thirsty. Again, their captors weren't concerned with whether they were eating or drinking. Uh, this was war. And they were taking these captives uh, back home to enslave them. Their soul fainted in them. Again, it shows us that it's not just a physical calamity. It's a uh, mental and emotional uh, calamity that they're undergoing. They're under God's judgment. But because Israel became hungry and thirsty and fainted, 
it, it, it stripped away all the illusions that they were living under, all the illusions of sin, and they began to see the reality of, of what, it like, what life is like without God. So much so that they cried out to God. You know, we stand in a similar position. And uh, Revelation uh, writes, there's seven letters in the book of Revelation that John writes to seven different churches. One of the churches is the Church of Laodicea. From a prophetic standpoint, uh, each of those churches represents a different era uh, in, uh, this, uh, in, in the Christian era, in the church age, if you will. And we believe that we're living in the Laodicean age right now. Uh, he says to the Laodicean church, You're rich, you've become wealthy, you have no need of nothing, but you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And I think that so often describes believers today. We have so much uh, we at our disposal. We're, we're so prosperous. We're so rich. We're so wealthy. Yeah, we really don't have need of anything. I mean, we think we have needs. You know, really, you know, we have wants. Okay, we have desires. Uh, but, you know, our basic needs are being met. And so because of that, we, we stop seeing who we really are. You know, what would it be like uh, in, in church if God's people saw themselves for how they really are? That we're wretched, we're miserable, we're poor, we're blind, we're naked. But we don't see that. We need a healthy dose of seeing who we are. Because, listen, Israel couldn't see who they were and God had to take them into captivity to expose it. Let's pray God doesn't have to take us into captivity before we realize our true spiritual condition uh, before him. He says in Revelation 3.19, be zealous and repent. Okay, So we need to understand our condition. There's a reason why we need deliverance. Notice the call in verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. One of my favorite verses that is repeated so often through so many psalms. They cried out in their trouble. God delivers them out of their distress. Israel knows what to do. They see their true condition. They need deliverance, but they need to cry out or call upon God. And uh, this is what the church needs today. You know, we think, oh, I need this new program, or we, we need to hire an expert in church growth. And, you know, this is all nonsense. We've got to stop adopting this Madison Avenue approach to church. Church is not a business. We don't run a church like a business. Uh, it, it's a living organism, and it needs to be conducted in the manner that the church of the New Testament era was conducted. Uh, and, and again, that, that's more people-oriented than program-oriented. And so uh, here we learn that uh, in verse 6, the, in verse, beginning of verse 6, that Israel cries out to the Lord. They didn't, like I said, they didn't hire an expert. They didn't start a program. Uh, they simply cried to God. God brings adversity into their life to bring them to himself. He brings adversity into the life of the church and in the life of the individuals to break us, to make us more reliant upon him, to bring us to himself. You know, if you've ever looked at your, at your circumstances and situations, like, you know, I just don't understand, you know, this and this and this and this is all happening. You know, what's going on? I say, what's God trying to say to you? And again, it's not necessarily that God's judging you. It's not that you've done some heinous sin that God's punishing you for, but it may be that you haven't prioritized God. You haven't put him in the place that he needs to be. And so now what he's doing is he's bringing things into your life to break you, to bring you to him, 
to make you come before him and cry out to him and Lord, intercede on my behalf. Again, judgment is not meant to make us more self-reliant, but to make us more God-reliant. And so the psalmist continues. He delivers them out of their distress. That word deliver means to remove prey out of an animal's mouth. What a beautiful picture of redemption. You know, on one hand, we have this picture of being brought, brought out of the marketplace of sin. But here we have this picture of, of, of prey being taken out of, a, out of, out of the, uh, the animal's mouth. And that's what God does. He snatches us out of the mouth of our calamities, the mouth of our circumstances, the mouth of our situations, when we call on him. And then finally, verse 7 and 9, we see consolation. And again, this is a major aspect of, of, uh, of God's deliverance. And that is that uh, he gives us consolation. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, that's his mercy, for his wonders, his miracles, to the, signs of, or to the sons of men. For he has satisfied their thirsty soul. The hungry soul has he filled with what is good. Notice the cry, the call in verse 6 leads to God's action in verse 7. He removes them from the desolate place and he puts them in the straight way or the right way. They were going the wrong way. They were in a bad way. Now they're in the right way. And they, where they had no city to dwell in, now they have a city to inhabit. God brings them home, home to the promised land, home to himself. As Isaiah 62 verse 12 says, And the nations shall call them Israel, the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be sought out, a city not forsaken. You know, when God shows you mercy and me mercy, when he shows the church mercy, what should our response be? Look at verse 8. We ought to give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, his mercy, his loving kindness, for his miracles, his marvelous works, his wonders. This is his direct supernatural intervention in delivering us, in leading us, in providing for us. When God does, and what God does for us, ought to cause us to become grateful, to have an attitude that is grateful for why. He satisfies the desires of our soul. We're no longer thirsty. We're no longer hungry. Remember back in verse 5, they were hungry and thirsting. So much so their soul was fainting. He reverses that and gives them, takes the homeless and gives them a home. And folks, he does the same for us. You know, maybe you're in a spiritual desert in your life. Maybe you're at a place in your life where you're just struggling. You know what? Cry out to God. Cry out to God for deliverance. Maybe you're spiritually thirsty or spiritually hungry. Cry out to God. He'll fill you. He'll quench that spiritual thirst. You know, maybe you feel like, boy, I, I just feel like I'm wandering around. Cry out to God. He'll deliver you. He'll bring you home. He'll bring you where you need to be. So as we think of to this evening uh, on the providence of God and deliverance, remember when we begin to look for God's deliverance, it ought to be a cause for celebration. When we see who God is and what he does, we ought to worship him and witness of him. We need to consider our condition. Listen, you're not going to know you need to be delivered until you see who you truly are. And when you see who you truly are, cry out to God, call to God. And then when you do, sit back, get ready, because he is going to give you consolation. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, as we come before your throne of grace, we come through uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, we come to you through him, through his character, through his name, through his authority, through his power. 
the one who has given himself to redeem us out of the marketplace of sin, the one who has snatched us out of the mouth of the adversary, the evil one, the wicked one, the lawless one, the devil. Father God, I ask and pray that you would forgive us, forgive us of our sin, forgive us of our uh, forsaking of you, forgive us when we're not walking as we ought to, when we're no longer in the straight way, but uh, in the crooked way or the desolate way. And Father, I pray that you would rescue us. I pray that, Father, as we see our condition, as we see ourselves as we truly are in your sight, that, Father, you would then come down to us, uh, grab us, snatch us up, redeem us, deliver us, and, Father, console us. Thank you for the work that you do for us. Thank you that despite our sin, despite our uh, uh, foolishness and stupidity, God, nonetheless, you keep, because you love us, you keep coming back and you keep bringing us back. You keep delivering us time and again, and we thank and praise you for it. And ask that, Lord, we could go forth and live lives that uh, pronounce your redemption. And we commit this to you and ask that we would give you praise and glory today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen.